One of the great stories or kind of stories we like to hear are stories of reversal. Stories where it looks dark and dim and things turn around. Maybe it's something in the history of our world. We think of the falling of the Berlin Wall back in 1989. Or the release of Nelson Mandela and the end of apartheid in South Africa. But we also like to hear it in other fictional stories. And in our own lives. And one of my favorite stories is the Lord of the Rings. And at the end of the Lord of the Rings, there is the great reversal. And it comes near the end. And little Samwise Gamgee is there and he's laying in bed and he wakes up. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, he thought that the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased and his laughter welled up and laughing, he sprang from his bed. How do I feel? He cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel, he waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. There's this power in when things change and when things turn around, when the things, when things look darkest. And it may not be the defeat of Sauron, but it may be some other darkness that's going on in our life and things get reversed and changed around. But we know a story even greater than the fall of Sauron and of Mordor. It's a story we celebrate at Christmas, the story of Jesus and his victory over sin, death, and the devil. And we hear about it in the prophet Isaiah as the people of God, as Israel longed for that great reversal, the great change, the great turnaround. And it's the same way that we long for reversal, for that change. The people of Israel had been in exile. They had been far from their homeland and they were returning home. But we feel the same thing when we're experiencing periods of sadness, periods of mourning, and we long for those times of joy. When we feel like we've been overwhelmed with bad news, and we long to hear some good news. When we feel like we've been a prisoner, or we have been a prisoner, and we long for freedom and to be set free. When we're experiencing death and we long for life, these are the words of Isaiah 61. The promise of hope and of reversal. And as you heard Susan read those words, you may have said, I've heard those words before. Maybe not just Isaiah, but they're some of the words that Jesus spoke in one of his first, if you call it, sermons. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue, synagogue and he opens the scroll and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And he reads this, he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. And this is what Jesus speaks in that first sermon, and he says to the people sitting there, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I'm here to do that. And so we hear these words of the one who has been anointed. And that's not a word we use a whole lot. What does it mean to be anointed? Anointed was a, 
a sign used in the Bible of pouring out of oil on someone. It was a way to set them apart. It was also the mark of the king. It was a mark of God's spirit falling on someone, someone being chosen, someone being empowered. And so here we have Jesus saying, he's been chosen, or he's the anointed one, or the Hebrew word is Messiah. The Greek word is the Christ. So Jesus is the Christ, and when he's saying that, he says, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I'm God's anointed one to do these things. And he says, I've come to announce it. Now, sometimes we think of announcements kind of like what I do at the beginning of the service, like here's the, here's, the, here's the things that are going on, but an announcement that Jesus is making is much more than that. We think of a king or maybe a president announcing amnesty for someone. And the words aren't simply telling you what's happened. The words are what make it happen. And so when Jesus says, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor or to announce good news to the poor, He's not simply telling us that he's talking about it, but he's saying that I've come to make it happen. And there's this ability to do these things, and there's this long list of things that Jesus does. And this says he spirits, Isaiah is looking forward to the coming servant, and he says, this is what the sovereign Lord has anointed the chosen one, has anointed the Messiah, has anointed the Christ to do. And it's a big, long list. We're going to just look at just a few of those. And so first it says, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. And so first of all, it's this picture of, he says, to announce the year of the Lord's favor, or to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or to proclaim the jubilee. So the people of God, the Israelites, had been given commands by God for how to live their life, and one of them was the year of jubilee. So every seven years, there was a cycle of forgiveness, but every Seven, seven, at the 49th and the 50th year, there was this time of jubilee where debts were forgiven and land was returned to its original owners. And there was this great picture of bondage and freedom coming, of the, the release from bondage and freedom coming. And so when Jesus comes, he says, I come to announce the year of jubilee. It's the year of all the things that have gone wrong, all the debts, all the loads, all being released. Imagine what that would be like to live in a society where you knew. And so part of the idea behind this was that sometimes people fell behind and they couldn't do things, so their land would be given to taken by someone else and given off. But the land for those people was their livelihood. It was all that they had. And then to know that at some point you were not to live in permanent bondage, not to live in permanent poverty, but at some point it would be released and those things would be returned to the original owners, and people would be set free. And so here's this picture. Jesus is coming, saying, I've come to announce the year of Jubilee when the debts are canceled. I could go for that. Who could go for that right now? Your debt's canceled, right? Your mortgage, your credit cards, whatever, your student loan payments, all those things just wiped away. And so but Jesus is talking more than just a physical. He's talking about our spiritual debts. All these things are, be, are gone through the power of the Spirit that he comes and says, your debts to me are gone. In other words, you are forgiven. And so there's this act of grace that comes through God that comes in spite of it. And so he says, he says first of all, he says, I have to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, he says to proclaim good news to the poor. And now poor 
has a wide range of meaning. Poor here means not simply those who are physically poor, but the downcast and the downtrodden, all who are distressed and who are in trouble. Someone who lacks something. That's what poor means, poverty, right? You lack something. There's something going on. And there's this change that happens when Jesus comes. He says, I've come to make this change. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. I've come to proclaim the gospel, that I've come to proclaim that there is a change to your situation, that you are no longer going to be poor, that whatever's troubling you, whatever's weighing you down, is gone. I suppose if we were to go around the room today and ask, what's troubling you? What's weighing you down? What are the things that are making it hard in your life right now? We could be here a while, couldn't we? But Jesus says, I've come to proclaim good news to you. And good news, not in the sense of a happy, put on a smile, it's all okay, but a sense of good news where I've come to make those things right. And so he even uses the language of changing, he says, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And so there's this change that's coming over them. It could be they're mourning over their sin and they're recognizing they're finding forgiveness. And here Jesus is saying, you no need to mourn over that sin because sin and death have been defeated in him. And so there's this picture of Jesus coming and announcing good news. And sometimes we forget that. This is why we celebrate. We talk about in some churches, there's a tradition of each one of the four Sundays of Advent. It kind of has a theme. Well, this Sunday is the Sunday of joy. And it's the Sunday of celebrating. This is what we believe. We really believe good news. That all that Jesus has done, and this is what Isaiah is looking forward to, and what we look back on as the first coming of Jesus and look forward to his second coming, it's good news. Because Jesus is bringing about the great reversal, that great transition. In the words of Sam, where all the sad things are coming untrue. Where things are being changed and where the, the darkness is being rolled back and the light is coming in. But Jesus, or Isaiah goes on and he talks about it. He says, not only that, he says, he has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted. How many of you have ever seen a tree when it's been cut down? Well, we got one out here, right? There's a tree cut down out here. Well, it didn't get cut down. It kind of fell down and then we had to cut it. But if you were to look at the rings on a tree, Foresters will tell you, sometimes you can look at a tree and you can see the damage over the years, right? You can maybe see, especially on old, old trees, you can cut down a tree and look at the rings and say, oh, this year the ring is really, really skinny, so there was probably a drought that year. Here's some damage to the tree when something happened to it. Maybe there was a fire during this year and you can see the rings on the tree and see the damage that is done. In some ways, one writer says, we are much like trees that we've all experienced hurts and pains and, and challenges and difficulties over the year, and all of those are inside of us. Not in the sense that if you were to cut us in half, you could see those, but in the sense that we experience those and in some way those affect who we are. Things that happen to us in our childhood are growing up. 
I was listening to um, Chuck DeGroat. He's a, pat, or a professor down at Western Seminary in Holland, and he was talking about the idea of trauma. And we, we, the word trauma has become used quite a bit, but he talks about trauma not simply as something that happens to you, but our experience of that and when we ha- fail to have a comforting system around us when the things happen. And so we all experience hurts and pains, and sometimes it's tempting to look back and minimize our hurts and our pains. To say, oh, well, that, what I hurt, well, the thing I experienced isn't nearly as bad as these other people. And what DeGroat talked about was, he says, but we all experience things differently. We are all made differently. We all have different personalities and different things. So the thing to do is not to compare our hurts and our sufferings to someone else, but to simply realize how they affected us. And the ways in which the hurts and the pains we've experienced over the years could have been bullying we experienced 40 or 50 years ago, or maybe the absence of a parent and the way they did not care for us. Maybe it was something a sibling said or did to us, or maybe it was something that happened just yesterday. And all those things affect us and shape who we are. And when Isaiah talks about Jesus coming to bind up the brokenhearted, he's saying that Jesus is coming to heal those deep wounds inside of us. Sometimes we limit what Jesus does to simply forgiveness of our sins. And this picture of the Messiah is something much deeper than that, much bigger than that, so much broader, so much wider, so much more all-encompassing than that, is to say that one of the things Jesus wants to do is to reach down deep inside of you and to heal the hurts and the brokenness and the pain, the low self-esteem, the perfectionism, the childhood hurt, whatever it is that's going on inside of you, the unkind words that have been said to you, the abuse that you've suffered, or maybe just those little things that you feel like, but it's, it's built up inside of you. And Jesus says, I've come to bind the brokenhearted, to bind them up, to wrap bandages. And so, I want just to hear that good news today. That those hurts, those pains that you've suffered, Jesus knows about those. And one of the reasons that he came was to take care of those things. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was not simply taking away our guilt, but he was taking away our shame and our suffering and our pain. He was taking on all those things upon us. And so the words of Isaiah where he talks about, he says, giving us the oil of joy instead of mourning. That there's this change that comes about again. It's that great reversal of what Jesus longs to do in us and what he's done in us. Some of us have experienced that or we're in the midst of experiencing that of finding that wholeness in Jesus to know that we are a child of God and we are deeply loved. We are loved by him and he longs to know us and he wants to change those things and he's changing us in the inside and bringing about that healing. And so when Isaiah says this, he says, this is what Jesus has been empowered by the Spirit to do. And then finally he says, freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And so he could be talking about those in prisons. And Jesus longs to see people set free, but he also longs to see people set free from the power of sin. 
the way that they're bound up in this prison that it holds us in. Charles Wesley, in his great hymn, And Can It Be, talks about that. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound by sin. And then he talks about his heart being set free from that. A light shining forth in the darkness. And this is what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul experiences, and in some sense we experience this, where we're bound up, we're caught up, we're prisoners to our patterns of living, we're prisoners to the pattern of this, and Jesus comes to set us free from those patterns, to break us free from being enslaved to the power of sin, from our least, from our identity, because we can sometimes grow up and we can be, think of ourselves that our identity is we're a sinner. And Jesus says, no, that's not your identity. That's not who you are. He takes away the guilt and the power of sin. He puts on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We're made new. And so this is where Isaiah is pointing forward to this picture of Jesus, this one who proclaims good news, who binds up the brokenhearted, and releases us from the darkness that we're in. So if you feel poor this morning, if you feel brokenhearted, if you feel like you're a prisoner to something, Jesus is saying, I've come to change that. I've come to bring about the great reversal. I've come to change and make all things new. And then in verse 10, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And so there's this picture of putting on a new set of clothes. And it's this incredible change that goes about. Sometimes we can, we can do that. Sometimes just putting on something different feels like a change for us. But here's this picture of the way in which God changes us through Jesus. For he's clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. We all have our Christmas sweaters and our Christmas outfits and all these things. He's saying the incredible celebrations, like, look at these clothes. But the greatest Christmas clothing we have been given is the one that God gives us garments of salvation. Ever wonder what those look like? Robes of His righteousness. That God takes us in the, in the rags that we wear the things that we try and put on, the ways that we try and display our goodness and who we are and all the things that we do. And God says, no, here, let me give you something. Let me put on you the garments of salvation. The robes of his righteousness. And the thing is, we read this, we realize, who's doing all this? Who's binding up the brokenhearted? Who's releasing the captives? Who's bringing good news to the poor? Are we doing it? Are we doing it for ourselves? Are we breaking ourselves out of jail? Are we putting on the clothes? No, it's God in all these cases doing it for us. The work is done by God and by no other. And so there's this picture of Isaiah giving us this picture of the Messiah is the one who does this. That there's a longing that we have to make the change, but only God can do it. Only God 
through Jesus, the one empowered by the Spirit, the one anointed, the Messiah, the Christ, can do it. And so we hear those changes. Listen to some of these words from the picture of Isaiah again as we hear these words of the change, the reversal happen. There's good news to the poor. There's bind up the brokenhearted, freedom for the captives, the year of the Lord's favor, comfort for all who mourn, crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, garments of praise instead of a spirit of despair, being oaks of righteousness, rebuilding the ancient ruins. Instead of your shame, you receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Sounds like a good picture, doesn't it? A good change, a way to reverse, a way all these things are changed. And so the question in some sense is, what do we do with all that? What do we do with all that? I think Isaiah gives us a clue in verse 10 where he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Remember those words from Sam in Lord of the Rings. He says, what did he want to do? He just wanted to burst out in song. He wanted to sing because things had changed. And in some sense, that's what the invitation is for us, is to rejoice, not just for the things that God has done. But again, these words, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. We rejoice in Him, in who God is, not simply what God has done for us, because it can be a temptation Sometimes to just focus on all the good things God has done. And those are true. We celebrate those. But the greatest thing we have is God himself. And so we rejoice in him. Gladness about what he has done and who has done it. And so that's why, in some sense, this is the Sunday of joy. As we hear these things as we reflect on the ways that God has proclaimed good news to those of us who are poor. He binds up those of us who are brokenhearted. He sets free those of us who are captives. He gives us the oil of joy instead of mourning, these garments of praise, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God has done all these good things for us. And so we celebrate. We sing. We shout out joy to the world. The Lord has come. We proclaim the one who is the king. We proclaim good news for what God has done and what God is doing. So may we be this week people of rejoicing, knowing what God has done, but rejoicing in him who is our savior. Amen.